0: Today, because we have dinner downstairs, I know that none of you have reservations anywhere at a quarter till. So, for those of you that have a bulletin, there is an outline of the message that is there. And for those of you that have been here any length of time, you know that this is the third week in a row I have attempted to get through this message. The first week, I got to preach the introduction. Last week, I got to preach point one. And today, I'm making no promises. As to where we will be. We've been in the book of Nehemiah for several weeks. It began with a burden upon my heart that came during our month of prayer in January as to beginning to understand what many of you were going through in life and and some of your marriages and your families and the jobs and understanding the difficulties that we face uh, just because of the wickedness of the world that we live in. And so I felt directed to this book of Nehemiah, which is the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem after the temple had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel 60 years before. And just so that I can paint a picture for you, I want you to picture a destroyed city that has been ransacked and everything is gone, the the walls are torn down, the, the gates have been burned, and in the middle of this ripped apart city there is a temple that had been rebuilt but was completely unprotected. Not only was it unprotected, but it was not functioning in the way that the temple should because of the uh, the nature of the destruction of the city around it. It stood as a, a picture of an unprotected spiritual life, which is the way that we have approached this book. That we live in a day and age where there are many people that make the commitments at a point of contact with the cross of Jesus Christ, to say, Lord, I want you to come into my life because I want to know the joy and the security of being saved. In other words, giving my life to you, recognizing that you have cleansed my sin, thrown away all of my unrighteousness, and that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, which gives me the ability to spend eternity in heaven with you. But at that point, having received Christ, there are so many people that do not build walls of protection around their spiritual life. They simply are satisfied to live having made a decision and then try to live life as close as they can to the joys of the world rather than pursuing the heartbeat of God in everything that they can do. And so we've been going through this book recognizing that the symbolism of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem very much for each of us represents the building blocks that we put in place around the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives within us so that we can not only protect our walk with God, but that we can begin to grow toward the heart of God rather than trying to live as close as we can to the things of the world. And we've been doing this for several weeks. And for those of you that may be interested in the rest of the series, you can go to our church website and click on the media icon and and you can hear all of the messages that are there. And and, uh, we have quite a group of people that that listen to those online. And so if you're online today, we invite you to come to church. We certainly would like to meet you. As we move into Nehemiah chapter 6, and I have read this chapter now two weeks in a row, so I will not read it again today. But I will highlight some passages in it. And again, for those of you that have the bulletin are taking notes, we're actually going to begin to start with the second point today. They're getting near the completion of the wall. But as they do so, they recognize that the attacks of the enemy don't stop just because you're close to finishing. Just because you get near a point of victory in your life, there's never going to be a time when the enemy looks at you and says, you guys have gone so far toward the Lord that you now are unattackable. How many of you know we live in constant attacks? The songs that we sang this morning were wonderful as it dealt with that. But I do want you to look at things through a different prism today. Teddy Roosevelt wrote this. If there is not a war, you don't get a great general. If there's not a great occasion, you don't get a great statesman. If Lincoln had lived in a time of peace, no one would have known his name. The purpose of Goliath was not to destroy David. It was to call out David's faith and to distinguish him. An enemy rising in your life is an indicator that God is taking you to the next level. You will never be an exceptional person if you only fight ordinary battles. Now, having said that, doesn't that make you feel so good that the Lord thinks so highly of you that He brings you through big battles? You're going, that was a unique way of interpreting that Scripture, Pastor. From time to time, you need to be reminded that the Lord thinks more of you than you think of you. It's God's way of reminding us that even as we work to rebuild the principles and rebuild the protections of our spiritual lives, that even when we are on the brink of success, we can never be careless in the way that we live our lives. Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, When you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. About the time that you think you've got it all together is when you are at your most vulnerable because you begin to let down. One of the tests that comes our way, and especially as we, for those of you that have known the Lord and walked for the Lord any length of time, is the constant need to be vigilant regardless of where you are in life or how long you've walked with the Lord. We must be vigilant. As you look at some of the great failures of character in Scripture or some of the great victories, you can begin to take a look and recognize something like, when did David gaze at Bathsheba? It was when he was at the pinnacle of success and had never lost a battle. When did Jonah fall into self-pity? It was after he had preached the most powerful sermon and met the greatest response of souls coming that there was ever in his career. When did Joseph receive the temptation from Potiphar's wife? It was soon after he had been promoted under Mr. Potiphar to the position where he ran the whole household and suddenly he was elevated to high authority. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. From the prize. Now, I, I want you to understand that when he's talking about beating himself here, he's not talking about taking a, a whip and, and beating his... He's talking about bringing his will, bringing his nature under subjection to the Lord so that he will finish well and through the vigilance of his life, when he stands before God, he will be qualified for the prize just like everybody he preached to. As a pastor, there is this subtle fear that grips my heart from time to time remembering every sermon that I have preached over 30-some years of ministry, recognizing I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account not only for what I said, but did I live to what I preached. Each of us, as we walk with Christ, have this, this desire within us that people would look at us and recognize that there is no compromise within us or that we would never be able to be pointed at and be called a hypocrite and let them have a good reason why they do it. We're to be vigilant as we move on in time. So Paul's aware of the danger that can come from a spiritual life that as you begin to think you've got it all together in workmanship, become unapproved because you let your guard down. Many of you have heard of a baseball player by the name of Pete Rose, baseball's all-time hit leader. He was a lock to not only enter the Hall of Fame, but to do so on the first ballot. Who in their right mind wouldn't vote for a guy that has 4,256 hits, 17 all-star games, three World Series wins? But it was Pete that wasn't in his right mind because he thought he had it all together. And as he gets to the end of a phenomenal career, lets his guard down and breaks the rules that he knew he shouldn't break, and today is still paying for it as being one of the greatest baseball players that the world shuns because he wasn't vigilant to the end. So near the completion of our work, and even as we are rebuilding walls and we are working again to establish protections for our spiritual life, we cannot be vigilant because the enemy never gives up on trying to chase you down. You just can't stop near the completion because he'll pick you off. In Nehemiah's case, as he nears the completion of the wall, we find that there are more schemes that are coming toward him. We read in verse 14, Chapter six. Actually let me let me move up a little bit. We read that in verse four four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time Sambalak sent his aid to me with the same message in his hand, and it was an unsealed letter which was written and then it gives this report that is false. In our vigilance, we have to understand that from time to time, there will be people in your life that are going to cause you problems because they lie about you. Any of you ever experienced that? Two of you. The rest of you may not have very many friends. But we read within this that some of the tests that we find as we are walking in the Lord is that there is a rumor mill out there. Some of you know the rumor mill better than others know the rumor mill. And so within this scripture, we begin to see that they have been trying to get Nehemiah to leave the work and to come out and talk to him. All of his enemies are wanting to meet him someplace, in a place called Ono. And I was laughing, thinking the headline of the paper would be, Nehemiah says no to Ono. I don't know, that's my sense of humor. But in this letter that they sent, it specifically states that it was an unsealed letter. Now, how many of you know that an unsealed letter gets read a lot? It was specifically intended for that purpose, so that everybody that would deliver this message to Nehemiah would open it up and look at it, and they would begin to see all the accusations that were being made about Nehemiah. And as they are reading it, they fold it back up, stick it in the envelope, and hand it off to the next messenger, knowing that when people read something like that, chances are we believe rumors. The Bible states that it says it was reported. Now I love that because even that we see this today. Nobody tells who it was reported by. It was just reported. It was reported that you were trying to set up a kingdom, Nehemiah. It's reported that you want to be a king. It's reported you're doing all these things, none of which are true. And then they add this line, and Geshem says it's true. Now, Geshem was one of the three main enemies in this, which I really think is funny, as if his word really counted for anything. Out of us three liars, one of the liars says that what we are saying to you is true. So Nehemiah in his wisdom and with the help and direction of God recognizes that if Geshem knows this to be true, it must be a rumor. Rumors are designed to hurt. Some of you are bobbing bobbing in the wake of hurtful things that have been said about you. Some of you have wounds within your life that you have hung on to because somebody said something was untrue and you have never been able to get past that. Worse yet, others may have believed it and never given you a chance to let your character rise to a place where some wouldn't believe it. People are often ready to believe the worst about each other. And Nehemiah responds in two ways. Number one, he slapped the rumor down very quickly with truth. And then he prayed, Lord, continue to give me strength, to strengthen my hands, he says in verse 9. Now there are times in your life when you don't have time to pray long prayers when you're in the middle of difficulty. And I love, we've called these rifle shot prayers of Nehemiah. There are several of them throughout the book. This is one of them. The rumor comes, he doesn't have a chance to really sit down and pray long. He just says, Lord, you know that what they're saying is not true. Strengthen my hands. In other words, I'm not giving up the work just because they believe the worst about me. Rumors often are intended to pull you out of something. And yet... When the Lord is at work within you and you recognize what they are, you say, you may be trying to pull me out, but I just want you to know, I am pressing in on God regardless of what you may say or regardless of what you may think because I know the truth in my heart. And I will overcome the attack of an enemy. Notice Satan tries to attack him in the head by intimidating him, but he responds by saying, you will not pull me out of this. Lord, strengthen my hands for the work. I'm pushing on to do what is right. There are times when you're in the middle of attack, you need your hands strengthened. You need your vision sharpened so that you can move on in the work of the Lord regardless of what's taking place around you. In the body of Christ, I found sometimes when rumors are circulated People begin to hear the rumors about them and they get so discouraged that they withdraw and they they remove themselves. and, And having done so, they have allowed the enemy to win even when he had no truth to him because they were so afraid of what people thought that they backed away from the task that God had given them. And Nehemiah doesn't let that happen. He simply turns around and says, God, strengthen my hands. I'm moving forward. Then there was the test of betrayal. We read about that in verses 10 through 14. People that were close to him began to speak about him. said, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. Now this guy was a priest at the time. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. The interesting thing about all of this is because Nehemiah was not a priest where he was being invited by the priest to go in the temple was unlawful for him to go. And so here he has a priest, somebody who is supposedly working for the Lord saying, listen... I need you to come and meet me. I'm going to take you into places that you shouldn't go, but it's for your protection. People are going to try to kill you. And the discernment that the Lord gave to Nehemiah in that moment of time recognized that he no longer is working for me, nor is he a spokesman for the Lord, but he is working to try to destroy my reputation. And Nehemiah recognizes this. He also recognized that there were some family connections there. Tobiah, who was one of the enemies, married a Jewish woman Her son also married the daughter of this particular priest. And so this family connection, there are things going back, and for whatever reason, and we are not given a reason to know, and it's not written in the Scripture as to why, but it becomes very clear that this priest had been corrupted. He had been hired out so that he could ruin Nehemiah. We see things like this in Scripture in Psalm 41, 9, when David says, Even my close friend whom I trusted, who has shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. What a tremendous pick-off it can be when people that should know better, people that are closest to us, try to ruin the things of God within our own lives. Several years ago, there was a pastor that had been newly elected at a church within our state. He was beginning to make some changes that were necessary. The the church had been in dishealth for a long time, and as he was bringing some spiritual help, there were a couple of couples within that church that their ministries were being displaced and their influence was being diminished. They were so angry about it that they went a 100 miles away to a diner. And as they sat in this diner, these two couples concocted a story that both of the women were going to go and accuse the pastor of having an affair with them, knowing that it would ruin his life, ruin his ministry, and ruin his family. What they did not know was that there was another minister that had come and sat down in the booth right next to them that heard that conversation. And when they heard the name of the pastor that was about to be attacked, they called the district office and let our superintendent know what was coming. And so when they brought the accusations, it was all turned around because of an eyewitness that God had put in just the right place, at just the right time, at just the right moment. I am so glad that we serve a God who sees our life in a way that we don't. We see it day to day. He sees it in its entirety. And He knows how He wants to move to defend and be at work on your behalf. From the Father we gain a sense of belonging. From the Son we get a sense of worth and from the Spirit we get a sense of confidence that He will cause us to be equal to whatever task He asks and that He gives us to do. So we must be vigilant all the way to the end, recognizing that attacks continue to come. One of the difficulties that we had and we discussed this early in this series was that we have an image in our mind of what human flourishing looks like. We have an image in our mind of what it looks like for people who have been blessed by God. And it is always an image that is without difficulty. It's always an image that there is no struggle, that everybody is in perfect health. But I want you to know that there is nothing within Scripture that indicates that on this side of heaven, that is what a blessed life looks like. In fact, the Scripture indicates to us that the greatest reward will come from people who are overcomers, which indicates that there's going to be things you're going to have to overcome. In fact, the things that we learn the greatest about the Lord are in times of the greatest difficulty when He shows Himself real to us and passionate about helping us walk in these ways. If God had intended for all the days of your life to be easy, they would be. But in grace, He intends for your days to be tools for your refinements. I am deeply persuaded that many of us struggle with the questions of God's goodness and His faithfulness and His love, not because He has been unfaithful to any promise in any way, but because we simply are not on His agenda page. Many of our struggles with God are birthed from the notion that what God should give us is a life of comfort. He should give us a life of pleasures. He should give us a life that is predictable. Our agenda, our definition of what a good God should give us is a life full of human affirmation and the absence of suffering. But consider God's agenda in these following verses as they are revealed within Scripture. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. Now there's some verses, I'll just tell you right up front, there's some verses that are not in my top ten favorites in Scripture. These are four of them. And we could probably preach an entire sermon on just the aspect of these first four words. Consider it pure joy. Because that's not what we first think of. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. In other words, it's very clear that if you are living in a life of ease without difficulty, you will never mature. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith Or the greater is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, there's going to be some things about your nature that you will be rewarded for because of the difficulties that you go through. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's another one that's like that pure joy thing. Glory in suffering just doesn't seem to fit the nature of what we think when we're living for the Lord and He's blessing us. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Lastly, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Now you would look at that and you say, "That is not a blessed individual." That's not what I'm asking God at the beginning of the day. Lord, bless my day. This is not what I am thinking of. And yet he's recognizing there's things that are greater than any blessing that we think of. He says, "I consider them garbage." that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The message is consistent throughout Scripture. God is not working to deliver you to a personal definition of happiness. If that's what you were looking for when you received Christ, I'm sorry to disappoint you. He told us that He would walk with us through life, that He would strengthen us, that He would never leave us or forsake us, that He would help us to be overcome. He said, greater is He that's within us than he that's in the world. In other words, we are going to live in struggle. It's going to be work. There are going to be things that we have to overcome. But He will provide the strength so that we will mature in Him as we are rebuilding the walls of protection around our spiritual life. So if you believe that the nature of God is to make you happy, On this earth, you're going to be disappointed because His goal for you is to make you holy, to make you righteous, and to complete that redemptive work within you by presenting you spotless before the Father. We are never, ever going to complete the work of God until we have practiced everything that Nehemiah demonstrated to us as goals. Keep your eyes on the prize keep your heart free from those that would try to move you out of the things that God wants to do. Have confidence in His Word that He's given you a Word that will sustain you in the moments that you need it. That He's given you a faith that is unshakable. That He will help strengthen your hands when your heart seems to have been tempted. And that He will grant to you an understanding that what He is building in you and through you will be of lasting value. Nehemiah, discovered that the enemy never gave up all the way through the project. But as we get to next week, we're going to discover that the enemy was all hot air and no action. Just like our enemy. Jesus Christ is victorious through the cross. I'm going to ask the worship team to come if they would please. I want you to lead us in angel armies if you would. And as we sing that this morning, In just a moment as you stand, I'm going to ask that you would just close your eyes and that you would begin to envision in your heart what it is like as you're walking in this world that God has surrounded you with His presence, that there are protecting angels around you, that He's leading you, that He's speaking into your life. And regardless of what it may be that you are facing today, He will lead you to victory, but don't give up the fight. And don't for one minute think that you can stop being vigilant to what He is doing. Would you stand with me? as we sing this song together. section with Jesus at the cross. Maybe you're here today and you have been walking in the guilt and the shame of your sin and you never knew that Jesus Christ came to set you free from that so that you could become a brand new creature. And I want you to know today that it is as simple as inviting Him into your life.
1: So what I'm going to ask you to
0: do is that your eyes are closed and no one's looking around. That if today is the day of your decision and you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today, then I'm going to ask that you would simply look up and catch my eye. And I'm going to agree with you and then I'm going to pray for the entire congregation. I don't want to embarrass you, but I want you to know this is the most important decision you will make for eternity. This is it. I'm beginning on the far left, my right. Anyone here today that says, this is my day, I need a Savior today. Moving now into the center left. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Are there others today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Moving now into the right center. Is the Lord speaking to your heart? Do you feel like you have a a lump in your chest? That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you to yourself. You are one decision away from freedom today. One decision away. Fisher this your moment, moving now all the way to the far right and into the overflow. Hallelujah. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, there are those this morning that are sensing the drawing of your Spirit, that they want to step from the discouragement and destruction of sin into the joy of righteousness. And Father, you paid, paid that price when you sent Jesus to die on the cross. It's what sets us apart, not that we are righteous in our own, but that we have been adopted into the family by the righteousness of Jesus that He gives to us. And so today, for those that have made that decision, I ask that they would invite you in with their very own words. And that you would forgive them of their unrighteousness and that they would instantly be overwhelmed with the joy of knowing that you have written their names down in the Lamb's Book of Life which gives them the rights to heaven because of the righteousness that you have given them. We deserve death and you gave us life based on the choices that we make to receive you. And I pray your blessing over these who have received you today. In Jesus' name. And now, church, I ask you this. Perhaps you find yourself today and you are in the middle of a battle. Maybe it's people been saying things about you and rumors that you have had a hard time battling and defeating. Maybe you just said, you know what, everything was going along so good that I let my vigilance down. I let my guard down and things have started to happen. Maybe you just have discovered that there are things taking place that are so far outside of your own strength that you need a special touch from God today. I'm just going to ask that you would lift your hand where you are at. I want to pray for you. Yes, yes, all across this place. You need a special touch from God today. I want you to know one of the things that we enjoy about coming to church is that we come here to meet with God who changes things. You don't have to be the same when you go home as you came because God has been here to meet to strengthen you, to encourage you, to set you free, to give you the, the option that you need from